So today, church, thanks, Cece, uh, we have a couple things for you. Uh, we've been on this sermon series on biblical community, but today um, we are going to be baptizing a couple folks. I, yeah, you guys, once, I mean, once you... Once we really realize the significance of baptism, and I'm going to be coming around and challenging for those of you that have never been baptized, just how powerful this is. And then right after that, I'm going to invite Katie and Julio, one of my closest friends and also missionaries to Colombia, uh, who are in the States for a year to raise support, to continue to connect with church, churches that are supporting them. And they're going to be able to share with you the amazing things that God is doing in the city of Medellin and the country of Colombia. So really excited about that. Um, Why do we baptize folks? Why do we do this? For many of us that grew up in churches, but there are all these traditions that we grew up watching but never fully understood because it was just never explained to us. Um, Real quick, here's why we baptize folks. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's a very simple reason why we baptize folks, and that's because Jesus commanded us to do it. Jesus commanded us to do it. And we see the disciples doing that in the book of Acts in obedience to Christ's command. You can't read the New Testament and recognize that baptism was just as much a matter of obedience for the disciples as anything else Jesus talked about. So one of the reasons why we baptize folks is an obedience to what Christ said. More to the point, though, what's the significance of that? And why do we take this time throughout various Sundays throughout the year to baptize folks? Baptism is called a sacrament. And what is a sacrament? Let me just explain this up there too. Sacrament is an outward visible sign of an inward invisible spiritual reality. Baptism. Sacrament is an outward visible sign of something that is taken internally, spiritually in the life of a believer. Let me be really, really clear. Because I know we have folks in our church who grew up in the Catholic church and other various environments. Baptism is not a part of salvation process. Person isn't saved when they're baptized. Person isn't saved because they're baptized. The Bible says that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Is that good news? We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And I don't know about you, but I've been in church all my life. That still, that still gets me excited to know that I am saved, not by anything I do, but by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. One of my favorite illustrations of this in the New Testament, and I'm always telling it, is when Jesus is on the cross and the two criminals are next to him, and one of them says, Jesus, will you remember me when you enter your Father's kingdom? Do you remember that? And what's Jesus' answer? Sorry, buddy, you got to get baptized first. No, that's not his answer. What's his answer? He says, today, right now, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Salvation is a gift. Is that good news? Salvation is a gift that comes via grace, 
through faith alone. What is baptism? It's a symbol on the outside of something that's already happened on the inside. What does it signify then? Three things. One, identification with the work of Christ. This is one of my favorite passages in the book of Romans. Romans 6, where Paul illustrates what it exactly happens in baptism. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him in baptism. We are declaring this powerful truth that we die to our old way of life and now empowered by the Holy Spirit We live a new life. Going underwater is symbolic of that old me died the day that Christ came into my life. That old me died the day Christ came into my life. That's not who I am anymore. My past doesn't define me. Jesus defines me. Is that good news? We, we in the act of baptism declare The past doesn't define me. Christ and what he's done for me defines me. But it's not just about the past. There's a present reality. What do I mean? Jesus said, for anyone who wants to follow me, he said, carry the cross and follow me. For anyone who wants to follow Jesus, it is a commitment to daily dying to ourselves. Church, I want to remind all of us this morning, for those of us who profess and cling to follow Jesus, we committed to following someone who challenged us and said, every day you die to your own desires, to your own agenda, to your own goals, to your own self-determination, to your own desire to be your own Lord and Savior. It is a commitment of daily death, of dying to ourselves. But then... When the baptized folks are brought back up out of the water, what does that symbolize? That symbolizes not only has the old me died, but I am now a new creation in Christ. I'm not who I want to be, but I am not who I once was. I am not who I want to be, but I am not who I once was. And let me be very clear. We don't believe that because we see evidence of it in our lives. We believe that because God has declared it so in the name of Jesus. I'll say that again. For those of you that are just kind of like wishy-washy, not paying attention, I'm going to tell you again. I am preaching the essence of the gospel this morning. When they are brought back out of life, they are declaring, I am a new creation in Christ. And we believe that not necessarily because we see the evidence in our lives all the time, but because God has declared it so in his word, in the evidence of Jesus. Is that good news? That's what we claim and stake our faith. It's that that propels the motivation to change. And Jesus says, for anyone who is in Christ, we are a new creation. That means that part of what baptism represents is a cleansing, washing away of sin. In Christ, my sins have been forgiven. In Christ, my sins have been washed away. But also in Christ today, God sees me as he sees his son. Today, he sees me as he sees his son. That means that today, and always, every time I see this, some of you just go, oh, but 
the gospel says today, if I am in Christ, regardless of what I did last night, God sees me as holy. God sees me as righteous. God sees me as his son, as his daughter. It's not just identification with the work of Christ, but also there's identification with the person of Jesus Christ. What do I mean? These folks that are going to be baptized today, they are publicly declaring today in front of you, and they are swearing allegiance today that they want you to know that they have chosen to follow Jesus. They are declaring today in the act of baptism, I am not ashamed of the gospel or his name. See, baptism today in our culture is so private. It's in the church, primarily around believers. But baptism in the first century took place in very public spaces where culture often happened. That means that people that were getting baptized were seen by their neighbors and by others who they were aligning themselves with. Baptism is a public declaration. These folks today are saying, I don't care if you all know that I love Jesus. I don't care if anybody here knows that I love Jesus and I want to follow him. You could, you could accuse me. You could point me to my blemishes and my faults. But I know today that I'm a child of God, forgiven through grace, through faith alone. And I'm not ashamed of declaring that to anybody. That's what they're doing today. It's identification with the person of Jesus. And then lastly, it's identification with the church, the community of faith. It's perfect that we're doing this baptism because of what we've been talking about the last four weeks. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all his parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, asked to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given one spirit to drink. In baptism, we're declaring the essential truth that we've been talking about. We're not saved to some individual private faith. You feeling me, Tom? We are not saved to some private individual faith. If you want to find Christianity that says, I love Jesus and I could worship him on my own. I don't need people. God goes, you found yourself a whole new religion then. Because that's not what I intended. When you are, when Christ comes into your life, at the very moment, you not just get joined to God through faith. You get joined to other believers. And they become your family. And oh, by the way, there are lots of people walking around our culture today go, oh, yes, I am part of the church. And it's very vague and nebulous and sort of here. It was very tangible and it was very, it was very practical for the early church. What do I mean? Here's what we find. Description of the early church, Acts 2. Those who accepted his message as Peter's were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number. Their commitment to Christ and the reality of their joining the church of Christ was made tangible by their commitment to doing life with other believers. And you see the description in the book of Acts. And the question I've asked is, can you point to a group of people in this church and saying, I am joined to you. 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 Why? You know about my business. You know about my life. I know about your business. I know about your life. And we hold each other accountable. And we do life together. Can you do that? Can you do that? That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Just identify with the group of people saying, right here with these folks. I live, I love, I serve, do life together. So today, um, 
Pastor Kayla always talks about the green card. There is a portion on there for folks who are interested in baptism. There's some of you that have never been baptized. And let's be real here. There's no good reason why you haven't been baptized. <laughs> There's no good reason. Some of you, it freaks you out a little bit. And after what I talked about today about what baptism is, you're really freaked out. Work it out in community. Work it out with your brothers and sisters saying, you know, I want to get baptized, but I'm scared. And then there are those of you who are like, I'm ready. Sign me up. On those green cards, which we collect at the very end of the service, tell us your email address, okay? And let us know that you want to be baptized so that next time we uh, plan this service, we could have you. Uh, I said this uh, in April when we baptized Evan that we wanted to do the next baptism at the lake, Lake Michigan. Because to me, that's like, To me, that is the best way to go. I want everybody to know that Jesus is my Lord. He's my Savior, and I love him. I want all of you to know. And we may still do that, okay? So go ahead and make sure you fill that out. Now, right now, I'm going to show a quick testimony video of Michael Barrett and Kimmy Noonan, the two folks that will be baptized today, your brother and your sister in the Lord. So pay attention to the screen. I'm Michael Barnett. I guess I was doing hardly anything I felt like, I guess would be one way to put it. I was drinking, and maybe I should have stopped drinking years and years ago. Like one time in 1990, I closed two bars and crashed my car and didn't get hurt. Stopped drinking for about a week, but then I went back to doing that. In 2006, I got diabetes. I was still drinking. I was tapering off. I finally really stopped drinking a year ago. Now I only, only have one glass of wine at a Christmas party, Easter party, and that's it. My friend Sharon goes to Lamont Avenue Church, and one lady there, Esther, somehow invited me to go to that church one day about eight years ago, and I was going there ever since until they've, they're having hard times now at that church. I think six months after I started going to Lamont Avenue Church. And I was going before that to some other church. They said they wanted to baptize me, but they stopped picking me up by bus because they were in Bartlett. And Lamont Avenue Church was, I was asking them to do it, and the preacher decided to leave. So, so I've been wanting to do it now for a few, at least a few years. I got laid off in 2009, and luckily I was going to church before that, so now I'm getting some help through a through church and I guess I'm seeing things better than I did before. My step-grandmother was trying to get me to go to church and I wouldn't listen to her. That's back when I was 12. I'm back in college now, which is kind of weird to be back in college at 61. I think Jesus cured my diabetes. I never had to take no insulin. I'm taking only half a pill and I've discovered that diabetes, while most people think of it as a disease, I think of it as an addiction to food. I think if I'd gone not met God, I would never lost a weight, be worse diabetic-wise or worse somehow health-wise. My life before I met Christ um, was, it was almost so long ago that I can barely remember who that person was. Like it was a, totally different human person. My parents were kind of immature parents and there was a lot of fighting. I had coping mechanisms that were really unhealthy, just uh, basically lying for sport 
sexual impurity, like not understanding my body and, and using it inappropriately, trying to control the world that I lived in because I was so afraid of it. So I have a spiritual birthday. It's August 22nd, 1999. I had a really good friend who was patient and kind with me in spite of my narcissism. And she continued repeatedly to invite me to her youth group. And I continued to turn her down. I had, I had no idea what church was except that it was foreign and I had no encounters with it ever. Finally, after pestering for months, I said yes to some kind of like arbitrary like bowling experience or you know whatever and um, and it actually was really practical like I just met a bunch of kids who I didn't know who like were incredibly loving and kind after about a year of hearing about God and um, asking my parents questions and finding out that they actually knew a little bit more about God than they'd ever let on and, and learning a history of our family and like that my great-grandmother was like this matriarch who loved Jesus a lot and um, all of a sudden it stopped being as foreign and scary and then as I was in church service one day all by myself sitting there um, it was a very profound moment that the Holy Spirit spoke to me probably for, I think for the first time uh, that I remember and um, just told me I needed to go to the altar and just give my life to him and it was very like I don't even know what that means <laughs> but I'll do it and I actually sort of just felt like such presence pushing me forward even after I got saved it still was a long struggle but God just kept kind of holding me and he kept redefining uh, how I saw myself like it's not okay for you to treat yourself this way it's not okay for you to feel this way about yourself because um, I love you and I need you and I want you to see yourself better and I hate lying, like, I hate to lie because I have seen the destruction that it causes. Before I was a Christian, sin was the dominant rule. It was my answer to everything, just like one sin at a time. God has dealt with that. I'll say, for now, I want you to stop uh, thinking of sexuality as something that you can control. I want you to stop escaping into fantasy. I want you to stop lying to people so that you can feel powerful. But it was one thing at a time uh, that he just like dug in, pulled out, and just discarded that root out of my heart. Um, and then he filled himself into it. Weren't those testimonies powerful? One last challenge, if you've never been baptized, we need to hear your story. We want to hear your story. Hi, guys. Kimmy and Michael, do you now desire to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? If you do, say, I do. Proclaiming this covenant with Jesus Christ, do you renounce all powers of evil? and declare your opposition to a way of life and contradiction to the gospel? If you say, I do, I do. Do you repent of your sins, confessing Christ as your Savior and Lord and living as his faithful disciple? Say, I do. And will you devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer? And lastly, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Will you do all in your power to participate fully in the life of this congregation, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God if you do say, I will? Amen. Okay, let's do this.
So as all of you guys know, every year, uh, at least once, I disappear and I go to a certain place in South America and uh, I go to see these two. They've been doing amazing, wonderful work in the city of Medellin. Uh, Many of you already know, Julio is from Colombia where he met his beloved Katie while she was a missionary and, um, and they felt a sense of call to go back to Colombia to work with primarily young adults, but also work with the Colombian church. And they've been doing amazing, wonderful work. They're great friends of ours. Our church supports them through prayer and financially as well. And so we just want to welcome today, uh, welcome them today as they share a little bit about what God is doing. All right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good morning. So uh, for us, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, Katie and I uh, met in Colombia, and we got married in 2004, and, but our desire was always to uh, serve the Lord together. So we moved to Chicago in 2006 in order to get some education and to start a family in, in Chicago. And so we came to Chicago looking for a church. Uh, Katie said we would like to visit uh, New Community Covenant Church. And, uh, we visited New Community Covenant Church 2006, and we stayed. We saw it was a good church to be. So I began, uh, uh, when I came to Chicago, I didn't know English, so I had to go to a community college, learn English. And then I began taking classes at North Park Seminary. And our desire was always to come back to Colombia and serve in the church in Colombia. When we got to New Community Church, we said, oh, this is a, a nice church. Uh, we would like to do something like that in Colombia. So when we approved to be missionaries in Colombia, uh, the Covenant Church asked us to work in Colombia as a, doing church planting. So we said, okay, we're going to do a New Community Covenant Church in Colombia like here in Chicago. So that was in our heart to do something like that in Colombia. So we had like 12 friends in Colombia who were college students, and we said, okay, when we come back to Colombia, we're going to work with you and begin a, a new community covenant church in Colombia like the one who is in Chicago. So we moved to Colombia in uh, 2012, and we began to work with these 12 friends. I spent two and a half years, and only, there were only 15 people in the church. So we said, okay, we fail. We are not going to have a new community covenant church in Colombia. But, be, but after two and a half years, we have seen God doing amazing things in Colombia. And today we would like to share that, that maybe we don't have a new community covenant church. We have something different, but we want to see how God is working to these people in Colombia. So we want to... Um 
get your feedback a little bit today. Uh, we're going to put a picture up on the screen, and we just want to, if you can see it through the light, what, what do you see in this picture? What, um, what does this image represent to you? You might see some familiar faces. Any thoughts? What do you see? What's happening here? Family dinner, okay. Community small group. Fellowship, awesome. What? Fellowship, fellowship. Okay, so we're going to move to the next picture, which I stole from Facebook. Um, What do you see in this picture? What is this? The future home, what else? The future church. What? Empty, okay. Dan, great to see you. (laughs) So the church, right? Many times in our context, in our culture, when we see a building such as this, we see the church. Julio and I would like to present to you this morning that actually, for us, as we've been a part of New Community for the six years and now in Columbia, this is the church. Um, this group from New Community who came to spend a week with us in Columbia to serve alongside of us, to encourage us, to pray with us, to do ministry with us, this community is the church. And so this morning we are going to uh, share a text with you from the book of Acts. So we had the privilege of being in a part of new community when we spent how many years in the book of Acts? Anyway, a long time, a long time in the book of Acts. And we appreciate it. Now we really, really, really appreciate it. Yeah. So we're going to read for you this morning Acts 2, 42 through 47, right? So we're, you've been talking about the community, uh, the fellowship of believers. What does it mean to belong? So here it says um, in the book of Acts, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this morning we just want to look at four aspects that we have found in scripture and particularly in the book of Acts that defined or were a part of defining what community was, what the church was um, for the early believers. So we're going to kind of look through um, what it means to be devoted to the apostles' teachings, what fellowship is and what it looked like, prayer, what role does prayer have, and then what does it mean to be a community, to be a church that shares what we have with those in need. The first thing that we like to see is the apostle teachings. Uh, when I see these texts, I'm trying to uh, see what was the apostle teachings. And what I found is the apostle teaching was Jesus. Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection. That was the apostle teachings. That was they were sharing with other people around them. Uh, they were not inventing something new. What they were doing was talking about Jesus. The Jesus that was promised in the Old Testament, the Jesus that our, our parents hear about it, is here. The Messiah that was promised was here, was with us. We walked with him. We saw him receiving those who were, uh, who were oppressed, uh, 
touching these people who nobody wants to touch. We were with him. That was the apostle teaching. We saw when he died, but we also experienced that he was alive again. That was the apostle teachings. That was they were sharing with other people around them. They were not inventing a new theology. They were just sharing what they saw, what they experienced by themselves. That was the apostle teachings. In Colombia, we've had the privilege of doing life with a group, two groups of young professionals, young adults, university students. And as we, again, as we were looking at what does it mean to be the church, what is it to do life together, the one thing that they resonated with was we want to be formed in Christ. We want to go deeper in God's word. We have never actually studied the Bible. Um, So we've spent the past three years walking through the Bible together. Who is Jesus? What is the gospel? What is the good news? What does it have to do with us? What is the church? Um, And so we've met in our home. We've met in parks. We've met in other people's homes. But really the foundational, looking at what does God's word have to say to us? And we wanted to share a little bit of a testimony with you this morning. Um, In this picture, uh, this was actually uh, just this year, I believe, when Peter was visiting us. Pastor Peter was visiting us in Medellin. And one of the young women in this picture, her name is Tatiana. We've known Tatiana for many years since she was probably in high school. Um, her mother was a pastor in the Covenant Church, so Tatiana was always, always in church, um, but always had a dream to be a doctor. Um, it took Tatiana five years of applying to medical school before she was actually accepted. Um, she was accepted, she's done her medical training, and she's now serving as a doctor in the city of Medellin. At the same time, Tatiana has completely um, her world has kind of been shattered apart as she is struggling with what, is, what does faith in Jesus look like? What is the church? Um, her mother passed away unexpectedly, and that kind of rocked her world. And so this particular night, as we were talking through the book of Ephesians, we were talking about resurrection, the hope of the gospel. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but Tatiana rose her hand and said, I'm here because I need to hear the gospel. I don't know that I have ever actually understood or experienced the gospel as, you are, as it's being presented in Scripture. And so I'm here, and I'm telling you, I need the gospel. And it was a very powerful moment um, for those of us who have known Tatiana and, and who have been doing life with her. The power of the gospel, the power of going through Scripture together, being dedicated to the apostles' teaching. Uh, I also, we work in the city of Medellin with college and young professionals, but I also uh, travel once a month to rural areas of Colombia where uh, people don't have access to education because where they live. And there are pastors and lay leaders who want to learn more about the Bible, but because they live so far away from the cities, uh, they don't have, it's hard for them to have some education. So I travel them there. And I spend time with them. Uh, and because I grew up in the countryside of Colombia, for me, in some ways, it's easy to be with them and study the Bible together. So you see in this picture, you see young people, but also uh, old people, all together studying the Bible. Uh, so we uh, spend a weekend together with about 32 people, uh, spending time, time in the Bible, but also talking about life uh, and about hope. Uh, because where they live, it's hard sometimes to have hope. So I go there, I spend time with them in the Bible, but also talking about hope. How do you see hope in Christ? The next thing that we see in this text is fellowship, community. In Spanish, we have the word comunidad. 
Uh, the word comunidad in Spanish means that even though we are different, even though we are from different race, even though we have different way of thinking, we have a uh, different way of thinking about things, uh, sex, uh, color, uh, social class, we can be together. And this is what the first church uh, represents. You see in this text that even though they were different, because they were Jewish from different places, because the Holy Spirit was between them, they were together. They were doing community together. They were not just eating together. They were going deeper together. And if you study the history of the church, you see that one of the things that impacted the community around the church was the way the Christians were living their life. Not was about the miracles or all kind of things, but was about how they were living a different and radical life as a community. So this community here represents a lot. As we've been journeying together with Nueva Vida, this small church plant um, that has now taken on kind of a model of a house church, as we've been going deeper in scripture, we've also been challenged as to what does it mean to, to know and to be known. Again, to go beyond surface, to go beyond I know your name, and I, but I don't know anything else about you, to really know one another, to do life together, to walk with one another through loss of jobs, through illness, um, through poverty, uh, whatever that may look like. And so um, we've, we've seen this new community, although small, build and grow and, and see how people have, have been walking alongside each other. Um, we have the privilege with new community, Nueva Vida, uh, in Colombia, to, to see a community that has said, it's not just about us, and it's not just about our growth, but it's about serving. And so we've seen how they are using their gifts and talents to serve the community around them. In, in this picture, you'll see a couple of the young professionals, um, Jessica, Jair, Pablo. They've been starting to go uh, once a month, twice a month, out of the city to a boys' home, where 13 boys uh, who don't have parents or who come from single mother homes, but they, are, they live in, in neighborhoods where they are at risk for violence and being recruited by gangs. They are living in this house together. And, and these young adults have now committed to going and spending time with them and building relationship with them. And Jair, who is an art student at the University of Antioquia in Medellin, has, um, has been gracious and willing enough to teach them painting. And so now we monthly there in painting classes and our friend Eliana is going and she's doing nutrition classes and cooking classes with them. So again, seeing how community is not just about uh, us and our growth, but it is about how then are we living in the world? How are we impacting the world around us? Um, and then uh, beyond that, God has given us the incredible gift of community within our apartment building. Um, we have been challenged to Again, to step out and say community is about us going deeper, but it is also about sharing the love and the gospel with those who have never encountered it. And so God opened up the door for us to, to connect with our neighbors in ways we never thought possible. It started because they said, you all look different. You're from the States. You speak English. Would you do some English classes with us? And so we started weekly meeting with our neighbors, and that opened up an amazing opportunity to be able to begin to share our life story, um, look at scripture together, pray with them, 
um, and really, really uh, build a sense of community within the context of our apartment building. Some of the people who are in that picture, uh, one of them is the president of the Supreme Court of the city of Medellin. So uh, God has opened doors to share with people who have a lot of power in the city. Uh, and so we have been just loving them. Uh, and at the beginning, it was hard for me because they have some parties and they are not Christian. So I went to those parties and it was hard for me to be in those parties. But after a while, we became friends and we were open to talk. So this was a challenge for me. The next thing that we see in the text is that they were praying. And when you read the book of Acts, there is a lot of praying going on in Acts. Uh, they are praying all the time, praying for, for, to be healed, praying for, to be wild, to share God's word, praying for uh, being able to travel from one place to another place. So you see a lot of praise in the book of Acts. So pray is, is central uh, in, in, in the church. Uh, in Colombia, uh, we, we pray, uh, usually in a small group, uh, we spend time praying. And usually uh, we pray for things like, I don't have a job, I need a job, so we're praying for that. Some people pray that they want to be, uh, how do you say that? Oh, that they want to be fired. Some people want to be fired for the job, so we pray for that too, and so they are fired from the job. So, so we do that, and, and people in Colombia, uh, you see here, there is a pastor in the middle, and then two young people praying for him. Uh, it's, it's very important that pastors praying for people, but also young people praying for them. And the pastors got together to pray each other, uh, to pray for the city. So praying is something very central also in, in the community that we, we, we live. Uh, the next aspect of life that we see in the book of Acts, again, is this idea of sharing what we have with those in need. Um, and, again, it's not about us, but it's about living out the gospel wherever we go. So Julio has the privilege of getting to know um, Pastor Franklin, who you can see. Can you count how many people are on the motorcycle? <laughs> there is, uh, there is uh, the Pastor Franklin is in the middle. He's two Doro, a uh, missionary from Norway, and then his, his wife. He has a motorcycle, and he shares his motorcycle with other people. Uh, but also, uh, in that motorcycle, he can carry beds, he can carry chair, he can carry cow, he can carry uh, all he wants. Uh, and there is a community that is in the countryside. I go there once a month, and you see how these people is open to share what they have. In uh, their house, they give me their bed and uh, their food and everything they always want to share something with us, always. And Frank Hill, for example, uh, he sent me a text the other day when I was here. He said, Julio, I want to tell you something. And I said, what? He said, uh, I was in a conference, and somebody asked me, uh, who is a person that, is, that, is, that is central in your life? And he said that it was you. And I said, why? He said, because you came, you come uh, every month to our area to where we are where we live in the countryside and you come to spend time with us to share the bible with us to share what to share what you have with us you gave us value and that is very important for us so that's what i have that's what i try to share with them and what they have they share also with me 
this morning, I wish we could actually introduce you to Henry and Deanna in person. Um, but unfortunately, it's, it's tricky to get visas and pay for plane tickets and such. So I will just introduce them to you. Henry and Deanna are very good friends of ours. Um, we've known them for many years now. Henry and Deanna are both teachers. Deanna works at a local um, elementary school, and Henry has been working as a high school teacher. Um, but this is just one of the many, many things that they do. Uh, they are extremely involved in the church community. Um, Henry and Deanna, by our standards, would be considered poor, right? So they make maybe $500 a month um, to sustain them and their, their two um, uh, young adult boys. Um, life is a struggle for them. They struggle with money for food. They struggle with money for transportation. And yet you would never know it because they are some of the most generous people that I know. Um, so just recently, we've been in touch with Deanna, and uh, she and Henry, along with the other church, uh, church brothers and sisters, have been going up to an area of Medellin uh, that is about, it's about an hour to get to via metro, metro cable, bus, and walking. So you're going up, up the mountain, and it's where about 40,000 people who have been displaced from the countryside or from other cities with, with other neighborhoods within Medellin have ended up moving to. So this is like the poorest of the poor within the city of Medellin. And Henry and Diana and others go up almost on a weekly basis to work with the elderly in this community and also now with a group of 40 young women who are pregnant. So these are 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old girls who are having a baby or who have recently had a baby and are on their own with absolutely nothing. And so Diana goes up, um, and she finds, she networks, she finds people who have resources, who have skills. Um, so just recently in this picture, you'll see they were, they were teaching about um, how to do massages with babies. They've been teaching nutrition, how do you take care of your body before and after you give birth. Um, they are pouring into the young women of this community. This is their way of sharing what they have, of loving and living out the gospel um, in, in a place called Santo Domingo. And we are privileged to know and work alongside Henry and Diana as they give to us more than we could ever give to them. So this is, uh, this is the church there, and we serve in Colombia. Uh, I don't know if we fail or not. But this is the church where we are serving in Colombia. So as we come back to Colombia, we have some challenge now. Uh, uh, these are some questions that we have here. Uh, if this church were to disappear tomorrow, this is a challenge for you too, okay? Or next week, what would the people of Logan Square say about new community? If this church is going to disappear tomorrow, what would the people of this area would say about you? They would say uh, they would be sad. Will, will you be missed? Will they be glad? Or will they be even notice that you were here one time? Some questions to think about it. As we come back to Colombia, uh, Colombia has been in uh, an, in an internal war for about 60 years now with rebel groups, paramilitary groups, the governments, and all kind of stuff. And that has displaced about 6 million people in Colombia. Right now, the Colombian government is seeking a, a agreement with our, one of the rebel groups, the biggest one. Uh, and they are in the process of signing, signing a, a peace agreement. 
And the idea is to sign the agreement in the month of March. So there is a lot of things that's gonna 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 be a challenge for the church. For example, 30, about 30,000 people who are part of these rebel groups are living in the countryside right now. Most of them are people who used to be farmers. Uh, so now the idea is that they're gonna come to the cities or to the small towns, uh, and what are the people gonna do with them? Because the only thing that they know is to uh, fight. Uh, uh, so the challenge for the church is how to work with them, and also how to do some kind of reconciliation. Uh, how do we, as a church, uh, help these people to get into the society and work with them, and also work with the people who have been uh, part of this violence? So this is one of challenge that we have right now when we come back to Colombia to help the church, to work with the church about reconciliation. How do we do that? That's one of the challenges that we have, and we are praying for that. We're really excited for New Community for the purchase of this new ministry space. Um, it's something that we've been dreaming about alongside of you for years, and so we're so excited that it's finally happening. Um, and yet we realize that there are challenges that come alongside of moving into a new space, meeting your neighbors. And so, again, what are, what are those things, those challenges that you face as new community, the people of God um, in a new building location? How is God going to challenge you and use you uh, to bring the gospel, to impact your neighbors and your community with the gospel? Uh, we will be praying for you. And we ask that you would be praying for us. Again, one of the ways that you are being the church is by being committed to mission. You send, you support, you pray for, and you visit missionaries. And you are engaged in, in, with the church in Colombia and in other parts of the world. That is part of being the church. And we just want to say thank you. Um, if you hear nothing else today, hear us say thank you. We, we so appreciate the fact that um, you have sent us, but you have not forgotten us. We know that we are being supported by you and prayed for um, by you. And, and when your pastor comes down, um, he's a great ambassador of, of, of this congregation. So thank you. Thank you for how you are being the church here and how you are um, impacting the church in Colombia. Thank you so much. And uh, we are, you are welcome always to Colombia to be and spend time with us, uh, especially if it's winter here. Yes. Oops. Was that a... Sorry about that. <laughs> I didn't realize the mic was on. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> stay here. Stay here. Stay here. Stay here. Church family, we're almost done. We're going to be praying for our tithes and offering. But I, I just, I, as I was sitting there, I get to see these guys all the time. And uh, they're going to be leaving. And... Uh, don't come back for a while. So I just feel led this morning. Some of you guys actually join me up on stage to pray for these guys as they go. Come on, come on. Some of your family, some of your friends, some of you know them. Some of you don't know them, but as you're sitting there this morning going, oh, I want to pray for them. I want to pray for them. Okay, come on. Just go ahead, church family, gather around them. Thank you, Julio, Katie, for sharing what you guys shared today. <laughs> Bruce Robertson representing Columbia proud with the jersey, soccer jersey. Love it, love it. 
Uh, this is our church family right here. Nate Noonan, I'm going to ask you to pray for these guys, okay? Let's go, guys. Let's pray together. Father God, you see the work that Julio and Katie do in Colombia, and you are proud. Yeah. Your light shines upon the work that they do, yeah. be it small or large. That's right. The impact that they have reaches far beyond what we understand. Yes, Lord. I pray that as they return to Colombia, that they would see their impact. Yes. That they would be proud of the work that they have done. Yes, God. And proud of the way that you are using them. Yes, Lord. I pray that your presence would be felt in small smiles, in big gestures, and in just the love of a community who will always be here for them. Yes. I pray that we, the church in Logan Square, would be that as well. Yes, God. That we would interact with people both at the lowest level and at the highest level. Yes. And let them know that you are here. Yes. That you yes. love them. Yes. And that you care for them. Yes. I pray for the city of Medellin. Yes. That you would continue your transforming work yes, that God. was begun before we were there. Yes. God. And will continue well after we are gone. Yes, God. I know the city of Medellin has many problems, as does the city of Chicago. Yes. We are your cities. Yes. We are your people. That's right. That's right. Allow us to be your people in your cities. Yes. And allow that to transform everything from yes. the people who are living on the streets all the way up to the government seats yes. in yes. power. Yes. Be the God, and we will be your people. Yes. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand as we prepare to give our tithes and offering. I'm going to pray real quick. Ushers, please come forward. Church, let's stand. Worship team, come on up, please. You're ready to lead us. Let's pray, church, as we give. Thank you for the testimony this morning. Thank you for these beautiful lives. Thank you, God, that we as a church get to join in the privilege of supporting men and women like Julio and Katie through the generosity of men and women that call this church their home. May today specifically be a reminder that we don't necessarily just give to new community, but that we give through that that the things that we give, God, has kingdom impact in this neighborhood, in this city, but also all over the world. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you have done. We give our tithes and our offering to you on this day. Use it for the advancement of your kingdom, for the sake of your glory, your honor, and your name.